Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, thank you. Thank you for four claps. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Feeling really loved right now. But they say in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. No, I'm just joking. Ah. Um, so um, in case some of you don't know, we always do another song at the end during this time. Uh, we can't do full worship sets um, because we need time in between services to clean. And that's why that is. How many know you'd love to worship a little more? Any amen? Yeah. <clears throat> I know. I know exactly what you're saying. So uh, today we're going to continue. Last week was Father's Day, and I uh, hope you had a good Father's Day. But we're going to continue in our um, uh, last call series on the end times. And we're going to look at a tribulation overview. And uh, as I begin the series, I'm a little bit loose here. How'd that happen? As I begin, I should say, the message today, <clears throat> we, um, we left off two weeks ago um, with, the, um, with the seizing away, the snatching away of the followers of Christ from planet Earth. And I want to go back over, uh, this will not be our main text today, but I want to go back over where I uh, left off two weeks ago because I'm trying to piece things together as I go along. Um, <clears throat> chapter 6 of Revelation is what we're going to eventually get to. That's going to be the crux of our message today. And that is an overview of the tribulation period. And then after that, we're going to look at all these details and fill in a lot of blanks as we go along. And uh, I haven't taught an end time series in about eight years, so um, it's, it's coming back fresh to me again. Because <clears throat> it's not something that I regularly study in my regular uh, study times. But uh, during this time, of course, I'm putting lots of effort into studying the end times. Next week, by the way, we begin looking at the Antichrist, uh, this person who's going to come on the scene. Today we'll talk a little bit about him because he begins Revelation 6. But first let me take you back over <clears throat> something about him and something about the rapture of the church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let me read it to you. Um, here we go. It says um, <clears throat> in verse 1, Now we request you, brethren, uh, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit. And by the way, when he says spirit there, meaning by a demonic spirit, because these people were, were terrified that the rapture had already taken place. That's why Paul is writing this to the Thessalonian church in Thessalonica. But watch out for, uh, and he calls them another, in another book, he calls them planas or rovers, planas in the Greek. They're deceiving spirits. Planas, we get our word planets, and planets move in the night sky, stars don't. And so watch out for roving spirits, lying spirits, because they come in all forms and directions at us. Any amens on that one right there? Or, or a message or a letter as it was from us. To the effect that the day of the Lord has come. See, they thought it came. He said, no, I'm going to set you straight here. Or I'm going to redirect you. Let no one in any way deceive you. Uh, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. This, this massive <clears throat> coldness towards God, this falling away. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now, as I told you two weeks ago, lawlessness, this man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist. Another, that's another title or term for him. And lawlessness means 
a person, it's the idea of a person who has no ability to obey the laws of God or the rule of the land. And that's what lawlessness means. <clears throat> Let no, I'm sorry, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So now we see Antichrist is going to oppose everything about God, the God we serve, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. So he's going to oppose all worship, any object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. The temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem, displaying himself as being God. Antichrist will declare himself as God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know, and here's what I want to pull out today that I talked about two weeks ago, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. So now something is restraining the Antichrist from coming on the scene. Something's holding him back. And I personally believe he could be alive right now. He doesn't know he's the Antichrist. He does not know he'll be inhabited by a demon. But he's moving up to the ranks of the political scene, possibly. And he will rise to power in the um, ten-nation European com confederacy, the EU there. And they will shrink to ten. Uh, verse, uh, verse 6, uh, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains, there it is again, will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Aren't you glad that Jesus uh, dethrones the Antichrist on earth? Though we won't be here. But we'll come back with him. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. So now we see Antichrist will be... Um, purely the puppet motivated by Satan himself, with all power and signs and false wonders. Let me go ahead and pray. God, we thank you today, Lord, that we are followers of Christ, whether we're here in church or watching online, that we have a security within ourselves, or I should say within you, Jesus, that no matter what we see, no matter what's going on, contrary to God, we know that God wins in the end. I mean, the battle may look like it's shaky right now, but the war will be won by Jesus. And we're grateful for that. So we are not of those who walk around fearful. We are those who walk around knowing that we carry the assignment. We carry the light of the world in our lives and our hearts. And we know it's dark out there. And we know the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. But Lord, we also know that we were once in those ranks and you opened up our eyes. And so any eye, all eyes can be opened. And so we pray, God, for our communities here, the communities that we live in. We pray, Lord, that you would save people. We pray, God, that you would get people back to you. Jesus, I thank you for the prayer walkers in our church walking this weekend or praying from home. We're praying for our communities. We're praying for our nation. And so, God, today I pray that as we look at this overview of the tribulation period, we're just going to get a little taste of what's coming. Then we'll fill in the blanks as we go in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said, 
Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, oh, you can't do that. Just look at your neighbor with that scowl. No, I'm just joking. You know what the worst thing about the, I don't know if I said this, the worst thing about the mask is you can't tell if people are smiling or angry. Any amens? So are you, are you happy or mad at me right now? You better do that. And those of you at home, no. Okay, so um, we are the restrainers. The followers of Christ, while we, are, while we are still on planet earth, Antichrist cannot be revealed. I mean, because we'd point him out in a heartbeat, wouldn't we? We'd say, yeah, that's the guy. That's him. But since we won't be here, once we're taken out of the way, our exit means his entrance. We talked about that two weeks ago. But one day the restrainer, us, will be taken out of the way. And he will be revealed. Now, before I go on in this, let's look at the key verse. There's a verse and a half or a key verse, and let's read it in your masks. Here we go. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Now, when it says all Israel will be saved, we're at a certain point in the future, we'll go back to the Zechariah verses to show you exactly how much of Israel will be saved in the tribulation period. Because it gives you, a, fig, it gives you a, a percentage, is what it gives you. Now, that verse is telling us that, uh, and, and scholars agree on this thing, that the fullness of the Gentiles is that moment in the future when the very last person puts their faith in Jesus Christ. That's when the fullness happens. That's when the church age, as we know it, it's been 2,000 years in this church age, and the church age is called the last days in Acts 2, if you remember at the get-go of the series. But when the last person, whoever they are, wherever they are, put their faith in Christ, it's going to. That's when the church is raptured. That's when we hear the voice, the trumpet, the call from heaven, and we're gone. Any amens on that one? And once we're gone, our exit means Antichrist entrance. And so that's what we call this series The Last Call because this rapture thing. Now, let's, let, let me look at the tagline, and it's this. It's the call you don't want to miss. One, two, three. Now, whether it happens in our lifetime, our kids' lifetime, and Matthew 24, as I shared three weeks ago, it really looks like, or four weeks ago, it looks like it could be in our lifetime. It, it really does, looking at things now and looking at that. But, you know, we thought that for decades. So I, I'm not pinpointing anything as we taught earlier. No one knows the time, the day, or the hour. No one but the Father alone. And so you just want to put your faith in Christ. If you're sitting at home with your family, you're not a follower of Christ, and, they, and they, they lured you in to watch this message because they promised you donuts or something, okay? Just know that you want to put your faith in Christ and not miss this moment in time or die without knowing Jesus Christ because then it's in eternity without Christ, and that's a bad thing. Any amens? And we want that for no one. So here we go in Revelation uh, chapter 6. It'll be up on the screen for you. I'm going to give you five things about um, <clears throat> these, um, these seals that are going to be opened by Jesus, the Lamb of God himself. So point one, and that's this. Here we go. The first one we're going to see is the white horse, uh, and it's the arrival of the Antichrist. These are typically called the four riders of the apocalypse, the four horsemen. And that, let me break them down as we go. Let me read verse 1 and verse 2, and it says this. Then I saw when the Lamb, the Lamb is Jesus Christ, and he's the only one with the power and the authority to be able to broke one of the seven seals. Now he's breaking the seals open. 
This is when judgment starts. This is the last second half of the great tribulation period. You're going to see the bad stuff now. <clears throat> and I heard one of the four living creatures, let me back up and say, the first one starts at the seven, first part of the tribulation because it's the Antichrist. Sorry about that. And I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud, um, as with a voice of thunder, come. The four living creatures, we found them in Revelation 4. We see a description of them in Ezekiel. They are angels. So Jesus breaks the seals. The angels of God in heaven, they now speak. And one of them says, come with a voice of thunder. Now watch what comes. This is the first writer of the apocalypse. I looked. John is looking. He's the writer of the apocalypse of Revelation. He's looking. And I looked. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow. Very important. And a crown was on, was given to him, given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, let me tell you right now that some people look at that and they say, Oh, white horse, that's none other than Jesus Christ. Is that correct? It is not correct. Jesus Christ does ride a white horse, but you find that in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes back in the second coming with all of us followers of Christ. Isn't that going to be a glorious day? I don't even like riding horses, but we're a narco. Any amens? <laughs> so there was a reason why the church was planted here, okay? Get your lessons in now. But why is the Antichrist pictured riding a white horse? He's an impersonator. He's a copycat. You're going to find as we go along, starting next week, week after, how many ways he copies Jesus because he wants to be seen as the Messiah as the anointed one, as God in the flesh. He has always wanted this. He's the puppet of Satan. Satan has always wanted worship. He's going to try to be a direct pipeline of directing worship to Satan himself. So he's going to copy Jesus Christ. Every move, it's going to be wild, guys, starting next week. Now, I like impersonators. Do you, anybody like impersonators? I, I think they're hilarious. I love the way they can impersonate the voice and they do all the mannerisms and everything. Some of you try to do that with my life, don't you? But don't, don't try it again, okay? Now, now, the Antichrist, by the way, Antichrist doesn't mean opposite of Christ. That would mean that he's equal and opposite in power and everything. No, it means against or in place of. Antichrist is trying to be in place of Jesus Christ. But he is an impersonator. He's not the real deal. He is an impersonator. Now, I want to show you three things from the three statements there that we read that are specific to this Antichrist that we build off in weeks to come. The first thing we see is, is he, he carries a bow, which means he's a skilled politician. Now, if you notice, it didn't say he's carrying bow and arrows. He's not carrying, just carrying a bow. So there's no weaponry, but sequentially, watch the way it flows. He's going to start off just a bow. There's no weapons. He's going to be a great politician. In Daniel, it speaks that he'll be a great orator. He'll be a charismatic speaker. And doesn't our world, especially in the United States, don't we fall for charismatic speakers? Oh my gosh, we fall over backwards. We don't even hear the message. We just fall all over the place. Now, he will be this orator, this skilled politician. And in the beginning... He's going to piece things back together. They're going to think, man, this guy's good. He really knows how to put things together. Now, the second thing he has, a crown is given to him. Ah, as he moves along, a crown. That is a victor's crown. The Greek word is Stephanos, which means a victor's crown, which follows suit as he, as he moves from a politician to a victor. And now the third thing we read in there, he comes to conquer, meaning he is a dictator that wants to rule the world. He starts off as a politician. He looks good. He sounds good. I'm for you, man. 
And then once they give him more power, they give him the crown, now he moves into conquering the world. Let me tell you something about this guy very briefly. He is the last world dictator in a greater form than the Stalins and the Hitlers, etc. The first world dictator, you find the last one in the Bible, him, you find the first world dictator in the Bible too, Genesis 10 and Genesis 11. There's a man by the name of Nimrod. Nimrod means rebellious. He is called in Genesis 10 a mighty hunter. Mighty hunter means a tyrant, a chief tyrant. This man is from the land of Cush. Cush is modern-day Ethiopia. He's an Ethiopian man back in Genesis 10. He's the first world dictator. He builds Babylon. He builds Nineveh. Nineveh's where Jonah didn't want to go because they are terrible people. Babylon, Tower of Baal. Tower of Babel, remember? They build the tower to God in rebellion against God. God says, fill the earth. They said, no way. We're going to build a tower to reach God ourselves. We're going to be God. We're, what we're going to do. And so he's this first world dictator that comes on the scene. And there will be another one, Antichrist, in place of Jesus, in place of Christ, who's going to come on the scene in our world. Now, that leads to the second thing, and that is the red horse. The red horse stands for war. War. Now, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4, and it says this. When he broke the second seal, he heard, now Jesus breaks the second seal. And I heard the second living creature, another angel saying, come. And another, a red horse, the second rider of the apocalypse. One of the second of the four horsemen. Come. Um, and another, a red horse went out and to him who sat on it. It was granted to take peace from the earth and that men would slay one another. Huh. And a great sword was given to him. Antichrist now, he's coming to conquer. Starts off as a master politician. Now he's coming to conquer. Now there's war. And he's taking peace from the earth. Now you see one of the first contrasts. Jesus came to bring peace among all men. Any amens? Now Antichrist comes as a copycat, but he's coming to take peace from earth. And people are going to slay one another. Guys, since World War II, there have been 150 conflicts, wars, etc. in our world. Our world is set up for this. Our world is against each other. Countries within countries, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, and, and it's not just here, it's all over there. I was talking to one of our guys in the AV, Chudi, he's from Nigeria, and he said, I asked, it's pretty bad. He goes, oh man, yeah. He goes, the Muslims against the Christians, it's bad. It's, it's, it's civil there. It's uh, civil war in a sense. But it's all over the world. Antichrist is going to come in and there's going to be war and there will be so many deaths uh, that are going to happen that it'll, be, um, it'll look like our history like nothing. Like that's nothing compared to how many people die. We'll see in a second how many people will die just in this phase of it. Which leads to the third thing after the war comes the black horse and that is famine. Now we have famine which logically follows war all over the place. Verses 5 and 6 say this. When he broke the third seal, Jesus breaks the third seal. I heard, John says, I, now I heard the third living creature, the third angel said, boom, come. I looked and behold, John says, I looked and I saw a black horse. He's the third rider of the apocalypse now. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Ah, that's important. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, watch this. A quart of wheat for a denarius, 
three quarts uh, of barley. Barley is the poor man's food of the day. For a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Now, as he goes out to conquer, and now we see war, and now we see famine as a third rider. Conquerors in war, they typically, in those days, when they go out, they would make sure as they're conquering not to hurt uh, the fruit trees or the vines because they take longer to grow from, from seedlings. They didn't, they didn't care about the vegetable in the ground, but those things, they take too long to grow. And since they were going to take that land once they conquered it, they would spare those things. Now, a couple things we need to zoom in on on these verses because it's very important. Now, mind you, we're not, as a follower of Christ, we're not going to be here for this. Say amen. amen. Praise the Lord, huh? First, we see scales. Now, why would they show us scales? It means rationing of food. There'll be limited amounts of food because of the wars. Now, you and I would think at some point in our life, that would be impossible in America. But I went to the supermarket. I went to Walmart three weeks into the pandemic. I got to see it for myself. I thought in some spots of that store, I thought I was in communist Russia during the Cold War. Those shelves were empty. Anybody going to see the shelves? Any of you going to fight over toilet tissue? Or at least grab a dozen eggs or something? Man, it was flying off the shelves because they're, they're afraid, you know, it's not going to happen. Have you seen any fast food places or food places? We can't serve this right now because there's no supply. Have you seen those signs? I never thought I'd see something like that in America, that you'd see some barren shelves. Now we're getting a little bit back to normal. But can you imagine... During the tribulation period, when there's scarcity, when there's famine, if you think it's bad now, it's kind of crazy now, it's going to be really crazy then, right? It's going to be wild. That's not, I'm not done yet. He says, and a quart of wheat for a denarius. He's telling us something. He's saying during this time, there's going to be, uh, well, gouging and inflation because a quart, a you pay a denarius for one quart of wheat, Back then, that's 5 to 15 times the price that it should cost. So it's telling you inflation. It's telling you even for the scarcity that there is, it's going to cost you a lot, a lot of money. A lot of money. But then he adds this. Do not damage the oil or the wine. Now, that's an interesting statement. Because it's telling us that the nicer things in life, and those were nicer things because they used oil to light lamps and to rub on their skin, and they used the wine, remember, one part wine, two parts water, so they could use that to purify their water, and that's how they drink their water because the Israelites, Romans, and Greeks all looked at intoxication as something, they, they looked down upon it. So they used that for water purification. And so now these finer things in life He's telling us that only the filthy rich will be able to afford it. Only the Jeff Bezos and the Bill Gates and the Oprah Winfrey's and all, they're the only ones going to be able to afford the finer things. They're the only ones. The common person during that time will not be able to get these essentials. They will be out of financial reach. Now, I'm going to show you, I'm going to say something now. Now, I do believe that there is a difference right now between a peaceful protester and a looter. I still believe that. 
I drove down Ontario one Friday night about a month and a half ago, or a month ago, maybe, maybe three, I don't know, you lose, it's got to be three weeks ago. And uh, there's about 40, 35, 40, 18 to 20-year-old kids on the corner at Walmart, and they were protesting, and they weren't making a, they weren't being mean, they, were, they, they weren't looting, they weren't doing anything. They were peaceful protesters. And you know what? We got every right in America to do with it, things like that, and freedom of speech. I believe in it with all my heart. But <clears throat> there was, has been rioting and chaos. Can you imagine? Whatever you see on the news, and I quit watching the news because I don't want my peace taken from me. You say, Jim, you have your head in the sand. Look, if somebody asks me questions, I can speak from my Bible, and I will answer from that, not from the latest thing I hear. But can you imagine? Can you imagine during the tribulation period and you weren't a Christian and you missed the rapture and you're going through this thing, the chaos, the dog-eat-dog, trying to get whatever food you can get. And the Antichrist is not going to pass out stimulus checks. Because governments borrow money to give us money. You wouldn't even run your own household that way. If I ran the church that way, you guys would never even stay here. We're bankrupting our country. You may not like that statement, but it's a fact. Can you imagine no stimulus checks? But the Antichrist will use this famine to stimulate, he'll have his own stimulus, he will stimulate people to take the mark of the beast because if you don't have that mark, you can't even get the scraps there are. You hear me that? You hear that at home? You hear that? It's not going to be a good time. And you say, well, not in America. I, I dare you. I, I just dare you to read Revelation chapter 18. I dare you. I can't tell you for sure it's America. It might be a worldwide dis, uh, uh, discussion of what's going to happen. But to me, it sure sounds and looks like America. In one hour, that economy is going to go belly up. Belly up. Read it. Read it. It says the whole world, all the ships will be at sea with cargo. They'll mourn and cry because we're not buying it anymore. Economically went down. I never thought that was possible until 2008 and 9. Remember those days? When America went almost belly up? That was scary times. I remember people in church were scared. I remember it. But so don't think it cannot happen. Thank God, God is going to rapture the church out of that one. Any amens on that? Okay. And then there's number four, the fourth rider of the apocalypse. That's the pale horse or ashen horse. It's death. And that just follows suit. Verse 7 and 8 of Revelation 6 says, When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, now Jesus breaks the fourth seal, and I heard a voice of the fourth living creature. The angel speaks, and he says, Come. And verse 8 says, Then I look. John looks, and he sees it. He's looking 2,000 years or so into the future. And behold, an ashen or pale horse. And now he describes the rider. He who sat on it had a name. Now this one has a certain, has a certain name. He says, His name is Death. And Hades, hell, was following with him. So his name is Death, and hell is following him. 
authority was given to them. This is now all the writers of the apocalypse. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, with famine, with pestilence, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Now, <clears throat> our modern times, and I mean in the last hundred years, um, we have seen um, hundreds of millions of people killed by war, famine, dictators, etc. Have we not? Yeah, we've seen these things. Let me segue, go out and come back. Just for the sake of somebody might be uh, thinking this. Let's say you don't believe in God, you're an atheist, and in your mind you're saying, yeah, but Jim, preacher, you Christians, you killed millions of people over history too, in the name of Jesus. Let me tell you, first off, forgive us for that. But secondly, I'm speaking to you, Mr. Atheist, Miss Atheist, who wants to point out the church's problems would you want your beliefs stated and you know what they are and then having them taken by somebody else distorted with their own version of your statement to go out and justify killing people? Would you want that? Because that's what that was all about. People took what Jesus said, they distorted it, took their own version and the Christians went out and they did kill. But it wasn't Jesus. Never was. Can I open your eyes to something bigger? If you want to point that out, why don't you point out the hundreds of millions of people who are killed by atheistic dictator governments? You never point that out, huh? It's funny how we don't point out other sides. You know why you don't point it out? Because there's a God of this world who operates in the spiritual realm and he's feeding you lies one side of a coin and he'll never feed you the other side, which is worse. Any amens on that? Alexander, I never get his name right, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, he made the statement that he heard some of the leaders in his country say as they're killing off so many people. He said, the problem is we've forgotten God. That's what they said in those countries as they're moving towards these dictatorships, we have forgotten God. That's why all these people were murdered. And that's what's going to happen here. We have forgotten God. And now we're left with earth dwellers and an antichrist. And what's going on here? Now let's do the math. He said that one-fourth of the earth will be killed by these different things, by sword, famine, pestilence, wild beasts. One quarter. Now let's say, I know there's over seven billion, but let's say there's seven billion on earth at that time. One quarter is 1,750,000,000 people will die just by the four writers of the apocalypse. 1,750,000,000. Is that a lot? And we're not done. There's more as we go along. It's going to be carnage like we've never seen before on this earth. Now, I want to zoom in on something because there's an interesting statement at the end of verse 8. It says, and by wild beasts of the earth... Is this like, is Planet of the Apes true? No. Don't go home and say, Jim said that movie's real. No. I, you know, um, we conjure a wild beast in our mind as some big animal, right? But I was listening about 25 years ago, 30 years ago to Chuck Missler. And he pointed out something that illuminated my mind to that statement. 
He said, do not apply scale to that thing. You don't know size. In 1348, the bubonic plague came into Italy. It passed through Europe. By the end of it, they don't know the exact amount, 25 to 50 million people died in Italy. What brought it? Rats. They ain't very big. Now let me blow your mind a bit. And let me finish before you say, well, Jim said, that's not what I'm saying. You don't know how many times I've been misquoted. We don't know the size of the wild beasts. We don't know the scale. But why are we wearing masks? Because there's a virus out there. You can't see it, can you? It's microscopic. And it's killing people. And there's no doubt about it. I'm not saying that this is COVID. Please don't go tell people. Jim said, don't do that, please. You're going to ruin my whole reputation. It's already bad enough. Amen. <laughs> but could it be that the wild beasts during the tribulation period could be a virus? Sure it could. It's going to come at from, from every angle. That thing's going to come at people. I'm not saying it is. Could be big beasts. I don't know. But it could be microscopic. We don't know. But we do know that wild beasts will be part of what's killing people on planet Earth to the point of 1,750,000,000 people. Now, the fifth thing, the fifth seal is the cry of the martyrs. Huh. Now it switches from what's going on on Earth and the judgments, it switches to heaven because somebody in heaven is crying. Somebody in heaven is still praying. Now watch this. Verse 9, when the Lamb broke the fifth seal, oh, Jesus breaks another seal. I saw, John says, I saw underneath the altars. Now John's looking into heaven. I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Huh. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That's heavy, isn't it? And there was given to each of them a white robe. These martyrs get white robes. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. I don't really like that. Who, 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 what's this about? Well, <clears throat> we see that these people who are in heaven, they were murdered. They were martyred, murdered, they were killed. Why? Because they stood up for the word of God and they proclaim the testimony of Jesus Christ. Some of you have faced antagonism just for that, haven't you? People get downright angry sometimes, don't they? This could be it's nothing compared to the tribulation period. So it's, I don't know, first off, if these are the martyrs of all time or the ones who they were our family members or friends or somebody they knew 
They knew that they should have followed Christ. They knew they should have put their faith in him. But they said, no, I'm not ready. No, I'm not ready. No, I'm not ready. The rapture happens. They miss it. But they know what's coming. They know the mark of the beast is coming. They know an antichrist is coming. But they know if they take the mark that they will spend eternity in hell. They know that. We've told them. And so maybe at that moment they stand up for Jesus. And in the tribulation period, they will be hunted down. We'll see that. And they will be killed. And when they die, and they're going to die for faith now in Jesus, now we find them in heaven. Now, like I said, I don't know if it's just those guys or all martyrs of all time. I don't know. Nobody knows. But notice their question. How long, Lord, will you refrain from avenging our blood on the earth dwellers, meaning the ones who killed us? When are you going to bring judgment? You know how we say it? (laughs) How long will they keep getting away with it? Haven't you ever thought that? And the answer? From Jesus. Rest a little while longer. Oh. But what does that mean? It means justice is coming pretty soon. It's coming soon. Now, Let's, let's just be honest as Christians. And let's not be super spiritual like at work and stuff. Isn't that the problem we all deal with? Don't we all want justice because someone's getting away with it toward us? We all know what that feels like, right? Say amen. Well, they're getting away with it. What, what they did to me. That person played me. That person ripped me off for that money. They're they're, they're getting away with it. I want judgment. I want justice. See, every one of us has a person from our past or current where we say, God, I want justice from that person. And we feel powerless and it angers us. And we go to work. Oh, everything's fine. Praise the Lord. And instead of going, I hate the word. Now, If I was an atheist, which I'm not, and someone did something to me that required justice and I'm not ever going to get justice, I'd be angry the rest of my life because there's no afterlife. There's no judgment to come. And they got away with it. I might even do something stupid. But I'm a Christian. And I believe in Jesus Christ who invaded our environment because he, he created our environment, our world. And I believe when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to sit at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And I know there's going to be a white throne judgment. You see, I know as a believer that there's life beyond here and there'll be a judge who will carry out judgment. Judgment. See, nobody's going to get away with anything. So if they're getting away with me on planet Earth, they're going to get theirs. Why do you think Paul writes about God? Vengeance is God's. He'll repay. Don't take it into your own hands. See, this all helps me personally with my own personal, how long before you avenge me, God? 
He says, rest a little while longer, Jim. He didn't just say in a while. He said, rest. That's key. Get some peace in your life. I'll take care of it one day. <clears throat> See, if, there's no, if there were no ultimate judgment, there would be no ultimate justice. Am I right? One day God will judge the world. Now let me tell you that we've got to be careful with thinking this way. Oh, they're going to get theirs good. I don't want anybody to get theirs. We're all sinners, right? Because if I start getting the attitude and the anger in my heart, oh, I want them to... I want them to get theirs for what they did to me. And we've all had people do things to us. Then we're going to lose our heart for people. We're just going to be walking around. We want judgment on people. No. You and I would be judged except for the blood of Jesus. Am I right? Never, ever forget that. Never forget that. See, here's the last thought before I pray. What if God judged you and I the way we judge others? Right? How much judgment would be brought upon us if God judged us the way we judge other people? You need to think about that. You need to think about that. There'd be so much judgment on us because we've sinned so much. We've sinned so much. And I don't want anybody to go into eternity in hell. I don't care what they've done to me. Why would I want that? When I serve a Savior that came and they hung a sign around his neck that he was a criminal sedition against Rome but in reality that sign was nothing compared to the sins that were hung on his body all of our sins and he nailed it all to a cross so that people could be saved so it doesn't matter what people have done to me does it hurt? yeah but that's not the big issue the big issue is salvation and I'm just as much a sinner as anybody else So let's not get an attitude of like, yeah, they're going to get theirs, even though judgment will come for those who do not repent. But we need not carry that attitude because we are not the judge. Jesus will be the judge. The Father sitting on the throne will be the judge. And they can judge in righteousness and truth. We can't. We get all distorted in it. Now, I've given you a lot to think about today to chew on. Next week, I'm going to give you a lot more about the Antichrist, the first writer of the apocalypse. But whether you're at home watching me or you're going to watch this later on today or during the week on our YouTube channel or you're here this morning and you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? 
Or maybe you backslid. Maybe you walked away. Really, you want to do that? You want to roll the dice on that? And don't ever think, oh, I got plenty of time. You don't know when your time is up. None of us do. None of us do. Get it right. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus or you'd like to rededicate your life, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. I want everybody in here to say it, and if you're in here, you're going to confess Christ as Savior for the first time or rededicate your life, make sure you say it with us at home. Say it. And if you're at home and you feel funny around your family or friends, say it in your head. But say it. Because you're going to confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, the true rider of the white horse in Revelation 19. So repeat after me. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would carry my sins, my judgment, and be the substitute for me on that cross, taking the wrath of God reserved for me because of my sins. I place my faith in you today. Forgive me of all my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. I thank you that I'm born again. Today, I've made my commitment to follow you. Now let me pray for you all. God, I pray for anyone here or watching online who placed their faith in you for the first time, Jesus. What a glorious thing. I got to do that 41 years ago. And I've never second-guessed that decision. Or for anyone who's rededicated their life, I would pray that this is the last time that you're going to follow Christ with your entire heart. You're going to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, spirit, and strength. And thus, and only then, will you be able to love your neighbor as yourself. A total commitment to God results in a total heart commitment to others. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done today. I know the devil's ticked off. I know he's losing a few more soldiers. But we're okay with that. Because eyes have been opened and all of heaven rejoices over anyone who repents and comes to Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say, Amen. Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.